Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. Well, it's good to be back with you again. It's been too long. I always enjoy coming out, getting an opportunity to preach uh, and be with those of like precious faith here. We had some conversation this morning before, the, uh, before we got started, talking about getting older. And uh, I know it gets increasingly difficult to get to church the older you get. Uh, simple things like just getting up on time, getting your clothes on, and you know, attending to all the things that have to be done to get you to church is, becomes much more difficult. And I want to encourage you all that it is a good testimony for you all to do that. Uh, I can say that there are many times in my younger life where I didn't find it, um, I didn't find the strength, if you will, to get to church. I spent a lot of years in foolishness as a young person. It wasn't until much later in my life that I began to recognize the witness of that testimony of people in my own family and people I knew who were older than me who had a great deal more actual difficulty trying to get to church on a Sunday morning than I would have had. I was a healthy young buck at the time, would have posed no real physical problem. And over time, that witness began to have some effect and made me sort of convicted by this idea that there's people serving God through the pain and difficulty and misery that attends growing older in a way that someone who's young and able-bodied was not. So don't think that your uh, service, you may have people in your own family, for example, who younger, uh, children, grandchildren, etc., who find any number of reasons to not come to church. And that might be discouraging to you at times, but it is a faithful testimony for you to be coming to church on a regular basis, to get ready, show up. Uh, and it it's one of those cast your bread upon the water sort of things. You may not see the fruit of that testimony. You may not even see it in your natural lifetime. But you, there may be fruit to it nevertheless. It's a good testimony, and I'm encouraged by it. I do have a thought on my mind today. There's a phrase that uh, comes out of the book of Daniel. And that phrase is, if it so be. I'll try to look at that for a minute here with you today. I want to talk a little bit about the uncertainty of the future, a little bit about God's will and God's people's relationship to that somewhat uncertain future and the certainty that we have in Christ. Now, it's been well said that no man knows the future, right? That's true in a limited extent. We do know some things about the future, right? We can't say we know nothing about the future. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised that He is coming again to this earth, and we know that. And that's something about the future. Uh, we know that unless He comes back during our natural lives, that we're all going to pass from this earth, because that's just how it goes. There are certain things that we do know about the future, but I think the reason that we say things like, no man knows the future, is because uh, the things we often want to know about the future do not fall within the category of the things we know about the future. So you can tell God's people, yes, we know Christ is coming back again, but usually the things we want to know about the future are things like, well, how's the stock market going to do? Is my child going to be able to find someone to marry? 
are they going to be able to get into college or are they going to be able to get a good job or you know there's all these other things out in the future that we don't know and in that sense we do not know the future and we are reliant on the providence of God in those respects but Jesus teaches something about this and I'm in Luke chapter 11 in what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer And I would say improperly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the Disciples' Prayer. Um, Some people might quibble over that and say, well, why are you trying to pick a new term here? Are you trying to make it confusing? Well, when Jesus Christ says, uh, forgive us our debts, that we may forgive our debtors and those sorts of things, Jesus Christ did not have any debts, right? There's no sense in which Jesus Christ ever said, you know what, God, I need to apologize for this sin I committed. I need my debts paid for. Forgive my debt in this regard. That statement alone tells you this is not a prayer that Jesus Christ ever had to pay. He was the spotless Lamb of God. This was an instruction He gave to His disciples. And so He's, he's responding, in, in, in a sense, to, the, to their... Uh, desire or their need for how should we pray to God. And so in that sense, it's kind of the disciples' prayer. But there's something in this prayer that is incredibly important for God's people to understand and to recognize. And it deals with this matter of knowing the future. I bet any number of you right now have something you're praying about in your life, some uncertain aspect of the future, and you have an intended outcome in mind. You're thinking, I would like for this to happen, right? Uh, And you may be praying about that regularly. I know we have those situations going on in our families, very common among God's people. Um, And we have designs on this world. Uh, We have things that go the way we want them to go. We have an idea of how they ought to go and those sorts of things. And if you put a few miles on the odometer, you realize that they don't often go that way. There are times that they don't turn out the way you would want them to. And Jesus Christ accounts for this in how he teaches his disciples to pray. Luke chapter 11, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. It's evident that in the disciples hearing the Lord Jesus Christ pray, heard something that gave them the impression that we don't even know how to pray. (laughs) You know, I'm sure they had prayed, right? These were Men who had faith in their hearts, they're trying to follow Jesus. I'm sure they had prayed many times, but they heard the Lord pray and they said, said, wait a minute. If what I just heard Jesus do there was actually prayer, maybe I haven't even prayed at all. I need to know how to pray, right? And Jesus responded to them. He said unto them, when ye pray, say, our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. I believe we heard that pattern modeled in Brother Burl's prayer. Uh, And it's very common in the Lord's house. We start by addressing God as our gracious Savior, our Lord and Master, those sorts of things. You, You start with adoration, right? Let's get this right. Let's let's start off by identifying who we are addressing in the matter, right? Um we see that modeled here. 
Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. Thy will be done. Now we have our designs on this world. You may have a relative in the hospital. Uh, My mother-in-law is in the hospital right now. We are praying that she would be restored to health and returned home. That is our design on the world. That's what we want to happen. And all of God's people have those sorts of designs. And they are not inherently bad things. You want your family members to be healthy and to be restored and those sorts of things. We pray for that quite commonly. But we must understand that these things always are encapsulated in a broader principle. The Bible talks about making your cares known before God. Set your cares before God. He cares for you. The Bible speaks in that way. He does care about your cares, and you are to make them known. By the way, if you don't, He knows what they are anyway. There's literally no reason not to tell the Lord, this is how I want this to turn out, because He knows that's how you feel about it anyway. And what you're doing is you are setting your desires before Him in that respect. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we are encouraged and admonished to do that. However, it must always be encapsulated in something. It's like an M&M, right? You got chocolate in the center. That chocolate in the center is the thing you want and that you're asking for. I pray that my relative would be restored to health. But that M&M has always got a candy coating around it, right? And that candy coating of our prayers is the notion of not my will, but thy will be done. And what we're saying, and that's a very worshipful notion. You know, if we take it in any other direction, what we're really saying is that my plan is better than God's plan. And it's not. We're inclined to think that it is, by the way. And when it doesn't go according to our plan, we may get upset about it. But we are always to pray this in the context of everything we pray is supposed to be in the context of, but you know what? Thy will be done. Lord, I trust you in this. I trust you in this. There's some unpleasant thing out in the future that I don't want to happen. And the reality is unpleasant things happen in our world. Right? We've got to trust God's plan rather than our own. Even in the midst of recognizing that uh, our plan may not be in keeping with God's plan. Now, as you pray in this way, and you remind yourself, I think it's a worshipful action to pray, make your request known to God say, but you know what? Thy will be done in this matter. Lord, I've prayed at times, Lord, reconcile me to your will. Recognizing that I may not really like what God has in store, but I want to be reconciled to it because I accept that it is a better plan. It's important that we know that because as we, there's really kind of two places you can end up. One is in the place where God has recognized what you have requested and he has granted your prayer. He has answered your prayer. Or maybe restored someone to health or restored you to health. That's a worshipful thing because you could say, Lord, you've been merciful to me. It's also worshipful in the other way too because you recognize then, Lord, I can't say that I understand this. I don't understand the full breadth of your plan. But I can recognize that you do have a plan 
and it's thy will be done and not my will be done. I may never be fully reconciled to this in my own countenance in this life here and now because I'm attended by all the you know, pathetic aspects of the flesh and I don't always think rightly about things. I'm prone to think about things with my carnal mind rather than with the mind of Christ which we've been given. But I'm going to be reconciled to it one day. Uh, farther along we'll know all about it, right? I mean we may not see all of that in the here and now, I suspect we see very little of it. Foretaste of glory divine is kind of the portion maybe we get, seeing through a glass dimly, that, those sorts of things. But we're going to know someday. But it's worshipful to recognize, even in instances where you haven't, the situation hasn't turned out as you thought it should, that God's plan is better. That's a worshipful place to be, and it's important to recognize. Now, turning back to the book of Daniel... I want to look at the the example that my phrase, if it so be, comes out of. And I'll do a fair amount of reading here um, because I want us to get this story in our minds. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three scored cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Uh, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. You get the impression here. This is everybody who is somebody is being called to this meeting. And there's going to be something required of them. And I think this teaches us something about the societies we are in. Uh, An evil society is going to call upon you to express your allegiance to that society from time to time. And it may make you very uncomfortable. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the uh, provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. You're going to have to worship. You're going to be called upon to worship. I've often mentioned that uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song called... uh, it went along the lines of, you're going to have to serve somebody. He said, it may be the devil and it may be the Lord. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, is how the song goes. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And uh, irrespective of Bob Dylan's theology in other areas, uh, there's truth in that. Um, you're either serving the Lord or you're serving something else. And this world may call upon you to bow down at their altars. It's a serious matter. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. That's not difficult to imagine. 
when um, a religious conversion is uh, done at the threat of death, it's a frightening thing. Very difficult to push back against, very difficult to resist. And I know even God's people might say, well, you know, I mean, would it really hurt anything for us to bow down? I mean, we know that's not God, but I don't want to be thrown into a fiery furnace, do you? So, a cautionary word I have about this is sometimes when Christians read the hero stories of the Bible, people who are brave, they, they put themselves in with the heroes. <laughs> and they sort of make it out that all of God's people were the heroes and everybody else was not one of God's people. But I would suggest to you that we at many times, probably over the course of our life, can see instances where we've bowed down to the things of this world under a much less threat than the threat of death. We've bowed down to the idol of not giving testimony to what we know about the truth at times just because it might be socially awkward. Nobody's going to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace. It doesn't take that much. It's just, you know what? This might make this conversation a little uncomfortable. It'd be easier for me to go along. I think there are many instances like that. It should give us uh, reverential pause with respect to thinking that this, had I been there, it would have been Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Brother Dan, right? But we see a good example in them nevertheless. Verse 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said unto the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the... Here's all the instruments again. I'd like to mention these again. When you hear the music, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now when you resist the powers that be who are requiring this sort of service of you, it's a serious matter. It's not often overlooked. And Nebuchadnezzar did not overlook it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? By the way, when you have people turning you in for doing the right thing, when they've submitted to doing the wrong thing, those people like to have people on their side. When you do the right thing, it is a testimony against evil in this world. And you may find that evil rises up in opposition to you, even though you're doing the right thing. You haven't necessarily done anything to harm them, but what you've done is you've set up a witness and a testimony against the evil thing they've done. Just like when you decide as a dedicated Christian disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to get up and go to the Lord's house and worship God on Sunday morning. There may be people in your life, acquaintances and family members, who are actually mad at you about that. 
And it's not because you've done anything wrong. There's nothing wrong in your practice. It's because your practice stands up as a testimony to their evil. And they don't like it. They'll say, well, all those religious people, they're all hypocrites. They don't really, you know, they're just judgmental and all these sorts of things. They'll come up with a thousand excuses for that. But just know this, uh, it's been well said, if you leave a light on, it's going to draw the bugs, right? We're supposed to be light in this world. And if we're shining the light of Christ, trying to set a good Christian example in this world, don't be surprised if you don't draw the bugs into your life, the bugs of people giving you a hard time about it and accusing you of all sorts of evil unjustly. Comes with the territory. Verse 15, now if you be ready, that at which time you hear the sound of all the instruments again, I won't read them. Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well... But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, giving you a second chance here is what Nebuchadnezzar said. Perhaps you misunderstood the command. Maybe you didn't get the memo. Not a problem. I understand. Mistakes are made from time to time. But now that I'm telling it to you directly, you have a chance to bow down here. By the way, fire is a dreadful dreadful thing. Very frightening. I think it's been said that fire is a dangerous servant and a dreadful master. If you're doing something like trying to burn a field or something like that, you've got to be very careful about how you go about that because fire can get away from you pretty quickly. And before you know it, this little fire you had to try to burn off some grass and clear off a field Next thing you know, you've got a raging forest fire, and you're no longer its master. It's now your master. And there's very little you can do to stop it um, once that situation comes to pass. Most people are very afraid of the notion of a fire. And if you've ever been to a, if you ever had a, maybe a house in your neighborhood burned down, and you go out there, it's, at nighttime and that house is just ablaze and you can't get very close to it at all before you just feel it on you. Not, you may be 50 yards away from it and it's so hot you think, I've got to move back a little bit. Unbelievable how hot a fire can be. And you're talking about these men are facing a furnace and they're saying, we're going to throw you in there. So it's no small matter when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, what they're about to say here. It's actually, it's incredible. By the way, uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes the opportunity to take a shot at their God. Did you see that? And who is this God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He's pretty confident. I throw you into this furnace, it's going to be game over. You're going to be toast, right? Literally speaking. He's pretty confident about that. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. That means worried. We're not worried about it. If it be so, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see that? He's talking. They're, they're opening this statement here with the notion of God's will be done. Now they're going to tell him, about some things that are in the realm of possibility in God's uh, will. If it be so. In other words, if it's God's will. 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. That's a recognition of God's power. It's God's power over the things of nature. Big, one of the biggest problems in our society today is people who have decided that really nature, science, falsely so-called, nature has the explanation for everything. Right? It explains everything. It explains where you came from. And it, it, the, the net of it is this. You're time and slime. That's all you are. You take a pool of slime some billions of years ago, sitting somewhere on a primordial earth, and you scroll ahead a few billion years and you got this assembly sitting here. You are nothing but time and slime. Well, science does not have the answers to everything, and God is the creator of all things natural and scientific, and He has rule and dominion over the things of science. And where science might say, well, if you throw a person into a burning, fiery furnace, they're going to be burnt and killed. And that's just all there is to it, because that is science. God, who has dominion over the things of the natural world, can contradict that assertion of science. <clears throat> if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire first. In other words, God can transcend the laws of science. The laws of heat, the laws of burning, the temperature at which things burst into flames. God can transcend all of that. And we recognize that. But look, they're not presumptuous in this. You see this? They didn't go into this with some foreknowledge that we know God is going to protect us in this matter. They went into it knowing God can protect us in this matter. He is able to deliver us from the burning fire, fire first, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But if not, see, they're not saying we know that for sure. We just know He's able to do it. The God we serve is able to do that. That's the basis upon which they're doing it. He can do it, but if not, I'm not going to presume, I'm not going to tell you here, God's going to deliver us. We don't know. These men were ready to go to the fire and die. They recognized that might be an outcome here. They didn't know. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I just love that. That's one of the strongest testimonies in the Bible. Here are these men about to be thrown into the fire. A, a, an absolutely horrific and dreadful consequence is sitting before them. They can get out of it just by agreeing to do something pretty simple. All I got to do is just bow down and when they play this music and then I can walk away. That's all I got to do. I'm telling you, that would be an incredible temptation even for God's people. That's how much we fear uh, the notion of death and being burned in a fire and all those sorts of things. But they say, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This idea of worship to them was very important. It was not a trivial matter. Very important to them. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. 
Turn up the heat. I'm so mad about this now. Heat up the furnace. Verse 20, And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, were cast into the midst of the of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the, of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now those men had previously bowed down. You see that? Who knows what their mindset was in all this, but they bowed down. Well, okay, he said he's going to throw us into a furnace or... You know, if we don't bow down, so we're going to bow down. So we obey. We know they bowed down because they weren't included with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as those who were going to be in, thrown in for not bowing down. So here's men who had previously obeyed, and they're being burned up by the fire. They didn't escape it, even though they thought they would. And here they are trying to serve this wicked king and they're consumed in the fire and these three men Shadrach Meshach and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished that's astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire they answered and said unto the king True, O king, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God delivered those men, and he was there in the midst of the fire with them in their deliverance. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. That's a miraculous delivery. You're not thrown into a fire like that. The, other, the men who threw them in, they were burned up. These guys, they don't have a spot on them. It's not like one of those Warner Brothers cartoons where a bomb goes off and then you're all kind of black and you got smoke coming off of you, but you survived. You know, well, here they are. They don't look too good, but, but they did survive. You know, they're not looking like a wily coyote after a stick of dynamite went off. There's just no, there's no effect here. This is a remarkable thing. You would expect it to be something. Oh, let me get that. You got a burning ember on your shirt there. No, none of that. Oh, your hair got a little singed. You know, on the internet, they got videos of people trying to light their uh, barbecue grills and stuff like that. And they burn all their eyebrows off because they're squirting lighter fluid in there. And it goes up like an atomic bomb when they throw the match in it. It doesn't take much to remove your eyebrows in a situation like that, but they don't even have a hair on their head cinch. This is an absolutely miraculous display of God's power, proving that He is over the things of nature. They don't have any dominion over God. 
Now, a natural man is going to look at that and just, I don't have any explanation for it. There's no explanation for it. Maybe there's some scientific principle whereby we could explain we just haven't discovered it yet. But that's not what happened here. It's talking about the God that delivered them. The thing I want to gather out of the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this notion of if it so be. Because that's how we have to proceed. We may not be facing in our lives some burning, fiery furnace in a physical sense the way they were, at the threat of death. But there are situations in your life where you feel like you need some deliverance. You should always recognize, if it so be, God is capable of doing this. God is capable of delivering. Even if it seems like this is a, just a circumstance that it would, re, it would require a miracle. Well, a miracle is not too hard for God. So God is capable. And yet at the same time, we should recognize, as they did, that God may have other plans. Right? And we just have to be reconciled to the will of God, and we will know more about that farther along. But it's an important example. In fact, it's one that's modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26, and you'll find this statement. Matthew 26, 36. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. There it is. That's Jesus Christ modeling this idea of, the, of submission to the will of God in the matter. I think this primarily is a lesson to us. He says, if it be possible. I'm going to suggest to you that it was not possible for Christ not to endure these things. You see, we're saved as a matter of covenant. There were covenant promises made in eternity past to save God's people from their sins. And the Godhead entered willingly into this arrangement. They all signed the contract, if you will. It's a promise. It's a covenant that says we are going to save the elect. Now, if any of you can come up with a way that the elect could be eternally saved without Christ enduring and taking, nailing our sins to the cross, uh, I'd be willing to listen. But I don't think it exists because that was part of the covenant. Payment had to be made, and Christ agreed to suffer in our stead. And so when he says, if it be possible, what he's really illustrating here is based on God's response to this prayer, it clearly is not possible. This is something that must come to pass. Now, I'm sure there was some measure of, 
Obviously, there was unpleasantness involved in the suffering of the cross, right? Um, I think we think about the physical punishment of the cross, but I believe that is a, a depiction that helps us understand the suffering of Christ on the cross. But I think his actual suffering was the separation he had between himself and God the Father in this transaction. You see, there were hours of darkness there where there was a transaction going on within the veil, so to speak, that is very difficult for us to understand. Where our sins were placed upon him and he made that payment. And I think that suffering was far more dreadful than the physical damage that his body received. I think that is an external showing of something that took place that was far, far deeper than that and spiritual in nature between the Son and the Father. It was not possible for him to not endure this punishment. Verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me for one hour? <laughs> oh, man. They're just like us, you know. I mean, those disciples were men just like us. They had the same frailties that we have. They're there in the ministry, right there with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have the same difficulties, serving as they ought that we do. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. There it is. This is the only way. Then thy will be done. It's Jesus Christ affirming um, the covenant promises that he entered into to save his people from their sins. Even his prayer is encapsulated in this notion of thy will be done, right? He makes a statement in John 5.30 that is kind of along these lines. He says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Jesus Christ was always about the will of the Father. And I think that even in that prayer in Gethsemane, He is illustrating that to us. He's pointing out, this is about the plan that I entered into to save the elect. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. I want to look at a, get a couple of observations here that I think are helpful. A lot of times this issue of God's will and our will comes up in the matter of life and death issues. That seems to be a place where we really start to think along these lines. You, maybe there's someone who's sick and you want them to live. You want them to recover. And these matters of life and death come into play. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, it, for to, me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, God's people are in a place... Though we only see this dimly oftentimes. They're often in a place where they affirm that 
intellectually, but you rarely see people say, I'm ready to gain. I'm ready to die. Most of us are clutching on to the the here and now. You know, we've got the white knuckle grip on this life. And I think that's natural. That's just a, I guess that's a reflection of our carnal mind and how we see things dimly. But perhaps we should lay hold more of this idea of how dying is gained. I suspect when we're in eternity, when we're in heaven, we're going to chuckle about how much we wanted to stay here. I really, I believe that. I, in fact, I fully expect for us to have this conversation in the future. Now, I don't know the future, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have that conversation. And I intend to see every single one of you in glory someday. And it won't be that long. I'm probably not going to be here another 30 years. I'll be lucky to have 20. Some of y'all older than me, you probably won't make it that long. So in a few decades, we're going to have this conversation. I'm setting an appointment on your calendar in eternity. I don't know when I'm going to run into you when we're walking the streets of gold, but at some point, I suspect we're going to be laughing and smiling about the fact. Can you believe? We're going to be like, you know, I spent decades walking around the earth just hounded by sin and difficulty and misery. I had all kinds of problems with my body and health issues and I lost a job and then I had to pay all these bills and we were and then I was thinking I just want to live a little longer I just got to stay here who's going to pay that electrical bill if I'm not here working myself to the bone my electrical bill was so insane this last month I may need to talk to a banker to uh, make arrangements on how I'm going to pay for it that's what this life is like we're paying bills Dealing with misery and difficulty, struggling in this body of flesh. And I suspect that when we get to glory, we're going to really laugh at how much we wanted to hold on to all this. We've had people in recent years in our church who've passed away and I've preached their funerals. And I tell you, when you, when you see the death of the saints, it, it's a joyous thing. I miss those people. I'd love to be able to sit down and talk to them again. But I wouldn't bring them back. If they weren't perfectly conformed to the image of Christ, which they are, and I brought them back, I think they'd be mad at me. They're like, what? you got to be kidding me. I was in glory, and you're bringing me back here? I'm kind of speaking in a silly way, but you understand what I'm saying. I wouldn't want to bring them back. Some of those people were in difficult spots, and bodies were failing them. They were very miserable, and I'm sure they are delighted to be in the presence of the Lord now and the Lord's people. That's the way Paul thought about it. He went on in chapter 2 to say this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. While we're here, 
we should just be seeing ourselves as servants. We have an opportunity to serve the Lord in the here and now. And if Jesus Christ can humble Himself and come down to this world and serve us, how much more so should we be willing to serve one another and serve in the Lord's house? It should be a privilege for us to do so. And as you're looking out the remainder of your life here in the here and now, think of it as every day I've got another chance to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to follow Christ's example as a disciple. I'm just going to serve the Lord. I know it's all going to work out one of these days. We do know that much about the future. We're going to be in glory with the Lord, and it's going to be great. But until then, let's just humble ourselves and be servants of the Lord. Finally, in Philippians chapter 4, if you turn the page, we'll close with this. I said we don't understand everything about the future. We don't know all things about the future. And a lot of things that we would want to know about the future, we think we would want to know. We don't know. Uh, and that can be unsettling. You know, we, we have our designs on the world, and they don't always work out. And that can, be, can make us very upset. I was talking to a brother last night. Um, who in light of this situation with my mother-in-law being in the hospital, he started thinking about his mother and his mother-in-law, who are both quite old, and getting very worried about, well, what if something happens to them? It's going to be very difficult to take care of them. Their husbands are both gone. And if something happens to them, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be very difficult to take care of them. And he was... As he was beginning to share all that, all I had these thoughts. One of them lives a long ways away, and the other one lives by herself. And how are we going to do all this? In the course of that conversation, we both realized, you know, it's possible to make yourself miserable over bad circumstances that have never even come to pass. And you can sit there and invent them or build them up. You can think about, here's this person... What if they get some horrible disease? What if this person has a horrible car accident? You can start thinking about all these things. And you can literally make yourself sick over thinking and worrying about all these sorts of things that might happen. Now there's a sense in which people need to be aware. You need to have situational awareness. Like when your kids are, I've got daughters that are out of town. I've got a daughter that's coming back tomorrow from Nashville. I want them to be aware that there's dangers driving on the road, and I want them to be careful, and I want to give them those sorts of things. Uh, but I don't need to dwell on this idea that something bad is going to happen, right, and make myself sick over it and do that sort of thing. We need to trust the Lord in that. Thy will be done. We've prayed about it. We've set our cares before the Lord. And the day is going to serve up enough stuff for you to deal with. I think this is why the Lord, you know, said sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You don't need to invent new evil and new things to worry about because your life is going to give you certain things that you're going to have to deal with. And those are the things you need to deal with in the moment and don't invent a thousand other ones. There's a lot of people in this world who are miserable and clinically depressed because all they do is spend time inventing a bunch of things that could possibly go wrong and worrying themselves sick about them. Take it day by day. But even though we don't know all of these things that can happen, we can accept and enter into this. Now this is Paul in prison. 
Ain't none of y'all in prison right now. I didn't see anybody wearing an ankle bracelet when they came in here, so you're not on uh, <laughs> a release program. If you are, if you got one, you're probably not supposed to be here, so don't show it to me. Um, none of us are in prison, but Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul's thinking about something beyond his present circumstances, and he's rejoicing in it. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's what I said before. We're supposed to let God know what, we're, what our requests are and what we're prayerful about and the things we're concerned about. Not uh, careful. It says be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about it, right? Don't sit here and Get wrapped up with worry. Set these things before the Lord. If you've got a relative that's traveling, Lord, we pray traveling mercies for that person. Pray they be safe. Lord, return them home to us safely. Thy will be done, though, right? Um, with all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, and God will then explain to you everything that's going to happen. Right? This is a peace of God that passeth understanding. Right? It's beyond your understanding. It doesn't require your understanding. People have these things happen all the time. You have someone in your life, maybe someone over the course of your life, you say, that person died in an untimely fashion. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. My design on this world would have never had that happen. I would have had them be here until I'm gone. That's the way our designs would be. And you might say, well, if I could just understand why God would do this. Well, we're not going to get that understanding in this world in many, many instances. But it's an instance of thy will be done. Not our will. It's God's will. And yet there is a peace that can come upon God's people. It's a peace that passeth understanding. It transcends all of that, all of the mechanical explanations of why. Well, this happened and that happened and this is why this occurred and when the accident happened, this, this thing caused their heart to stop beating correctly, and then they didn't get medical attention. you got all this. Here's all the explanations for why this happened. But this peace that comes upon us is peace from God. And it's a thy will be done peace. It's a recognition of who God is, that God's in control, and that it's all going to work out for us in the long run. We've got that date in glory where we're going to laugh about the things of this world, and I'm looking forward to it. We can have peace in that matter, and it passes our understanding of what we find in this book. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.